I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Good evening and welcome to the London Review Bookshop. It is wonderful to see so many of you here. And uh, for those of you who have been here before and are thinking, who are you and what have you done with John Clegg? Uh, the answer is, don't, don't panic, I haven't done anything. I'm Lily, John's on parental leave, and I'm sort of steering the good ship poetry in his absence. It is therefore so wonderful, such a complete treat, uh, and such a pleasure that my first poetry event here this evening is welcoming Kayo Chingoni and Denez Smith, both reading from their Chateau collections, Kumikanda and Don't Call Us Dead, respectively. Join me in welcoming our poets, in thanking our poets in celebrating our poets and their publisher Chateau Poetry. Uh, yes, so Kayo Chingoni and Denez Smith. Thank you. Thank you, Lily, for that wonderful and syntactically exact introduction. Um, I'm really uh, honoured to be here and share this space with Denez and also that we're part of the same stable. And also to be in a room of many poets that I admire and to be sharing work with you this evening. Thank you for being here. I'm going to start with some new poems and then I'm going to read some stuff from Kumukanda, I think. This poem has been through loads of different lives and it's one of the poems that nearly made it into the collection but it, wasn't, it didn't really want to be in that party. So it's going to be in a different one. But it's called For Those Who Mispronounce My Name. Hmm. Um, about that. <laughs> <laughs> it has uh, some words from the Luvali language in it. It has the word kaka in it, which means a grandparent. But in Luvali culture, your grandparents are your grandfather and grandmother, but also your, all of your uh, relatives from that generation are your grandparents. So I have a lot of them. For those who mispronounce my name, after my kaka, my father's father who died before I was born. I was gifted this Luvali name. The self-same born by my kaka, brother to my father's mother who hugged me at Kawunda airport because his sister, my kaka, died before I had a chance to see her again. It is not only my body I've carried this long while to the side eye and scrutiny of border control, but the name your tongue stumbles on, an heirloom, a shibboleth. This is the word for a boy child in Darlington 
whose mother heard my mother speak this name and wished one day her son would feel its weight when she called him or conjured him in conversation the way my mother did to think I thought myself unloved. What you might think a simple case of tomato, tomato is life and breath mm. to somebody like me who could search all your histories and never find his epithet glowing among your annals and tracts, mm. who does not exist according to your version of events. Did no one tell you naming is a magical act, words giving shape to life, life revivified by utterance, so long as proper care is taken to pronounce the words correctly? Hmm. thereby completing the spell. Y'all motherfuckers don't clap at the bottom. That was good. That was good. <laughs> oh, man. This is good. This is good. Um, <laughs> this is a poem called Epithalamium which is one of my, like, maybe I've written four love poems ever. This is one of them. <laughs> there should be a poem to bless the hands that cut and salted a bag of limes. The hands that brought that bag aboard this boat across a body of water we can touch but cannot see. A poem of praise should issue forth from the ether in celebration of an island's nighttime fevers, secular benedictions. Shot after shot, we drink to the universal language of wavy, hmm. turned up, smashed, <laughs> passing quervo between us and tentative questions in all we have of each other's words. Me with a mouthful of stock phrases, you fluent almost in this dancing tongue our fellow passengers know like they know the proper way to nice up a journey home after the dance when the light has faded and the music resounds from a point beyond the horizon and this boat we boarded guides us gentle as a hand on a back to the rest of our lives. Hmm. When you write a love poem for someone, you can't look at them while you read it. <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> I was reading Denez's book and thought about, thought about the cultures through which I was socialized, which um, primarily have to do with basketball and hip hop. So this is a poem which has some basketball and hip hop in it. And it's also an elegy for my father. It's based on the practice game in basketball called Horse, which is like Hangman with basketball. The idea is that you try and make an elaborate shot which the person you're playing with or persons you're playing with cannot replicate. Context, for context, my dad was particularly suited to basketball. He's a very tall, very tall man. Horse. August. Each of us in shorts. A white tee, 
This warmth has brought the ballers out in force and though he's been dead since 1993, my father and I play a game of horse. Next to us, a group of friends play three on three backed by Biggie's elegant contortions to better demonstrate the importance of style. I stop, push off from my right knee, willing the flick of my wrist to yield the sort of perfect arc that's talked about for weeks. The rim gives back the sound of falling short. I pass the ball to the top of the key. Tata throws up a fadeaway and scores. I can't match him and collect the letter E. I wanted also to read some poems from the middle of the book from a sequence called Calling a Spade a Spade. It starts with a quotation from Saul Williams. I wrote a dissertation on Saul Williams as an undergraduate student. And then, because I wrote the dissertation, kind of fell out of love with his work. Oh, and then, <laughs> then one, day, one day, it just occurred to me that like, I love his work a lot. And then, somehow, I got to experience that appreciation for his work afresh which is one of the good reasons to write a dissertation about someone, unless you find that through like, looking at their work a lot, you realize you don't actually like them, which is, it can go either way. But Saul Williams, on talking about the process of taking on injurious words, he said this, what is the subconscious process of healing? What does it take? Perhaps it is something like how old schoolers would say you heal from snake bite having to spit out the venom again and again until there is no more. The N-word. You sly devil, lounging in a pinter script or pitched from a transit van's rolled down window. My shadow on this unlit road though you've been smuggled from polite conversation. So when a friend of a friend has you poised on his lips, you are not what he means. No call for bald fist, since he's only signifying on the sign, making wine from the bad blood of history. Think of how you came into my life that day of leaves, strewn as I had never seen them strewn, knocking me about the head with your dark hands. You came back as rubber lips, pepper grains, Blick, you're so black, you're blick, and how the word stuck to our tongues, eclipsing, or so we thought, all fear that any moment anyone might notice, and we'd be deemed the wrong side of a night sky. Hmm. Lately, you are a pretty little lighty who can get dark, because even now, dark means street, which means beast, which means leave now for Benfleet. These days, I can't watch a music video online without you trolling in the comments, dressed to kill in your new age, binary clothes. I'm going to read a few more of these, one more from the book, and then something new to finish, I think. This poem is called Alterity, which just means otherness. And it's for my best friend in primary school, Jimmy Sheck, the only other other kid in class. 
Our matchmaker, the only other other kid in class, was my best friend after the urge passed to slap your negritude out of his mouth. Knowing what it was to have the spotlight, we stood in line for auditions in the hall. In lieu of a third, we were the two magi, honoring a blue-eyed plastic messiah, bearing our gifts of thrifty chinoiserie. The Holy Mother was a girl named Phyllis. I had my words down three weeks before the show. Hmm. Come, Melchior, let's make the best of the light. So the sequence has to do with an actor who's always being typecast, who lots of people reviewing this book have assumed is me, which is kind of funny. I like it as a, as a con- the, the thing about it is that um, as a student, I did lots of acting in the university theater company. But all that I say about acting in the poem is invented. So there's like several layers of acting going on. So sometimes I just let people believe. But this is called casting, and it's imagining that, that process. And also, I was thinking about the weight of that particular word. My agent says I have to use my street voice. Though my talent is for rakes and fops, I'll drop the necessary octaves. Stifle a laugh at the playwright's misplaced get-me-blood. And safe. If I get it, they'll ask me how long it takes me to grow cornrows without the small screens knowing wink. Three years rada, two years rep, and I'm sick of playing lean, dark men who may have guns. I have a book of poems in my rucksack, blank pad, two pens, tattered A to Z, headphones that know Prokofiev, as well as Prince Paul. Hmm. I have to stop working on my one-man show to take the call. They liked me, but could I try being Riley, sotto voce, the blind Negro? When I got signed, my agent told me, never say no to good money. She left out the part about playing Sam in every room. Itching, of course, to play the tune. I take it. Rent's due. Besides, I would like to divide critical opinion just once. I'll play him well-spoken. My agent is elated. That's great, she says. You're perfect for this role. Hmm. You were born to play it. Hmm. I think I read, I read a poem for my mother, since I read one for my father, and then I'll finish with um, an exuberant poem. <laughs> as exuberant as it gets. I'm a quite an excitable person. But that doesn't come across in these moments where I speak in this, like, really modulate, like... It, but, you know, we'll have to talk afterwards, then I'll be excitable. Possibly, I don't know. This is called The Frequency of Longing. It's thing... Ah, it's in the poem, I think. The Frequency of Longing. Towards the end, when she drifted beyond the reach of human medicine, my mother assembled a necklace of denominations, Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, Seventh-day Adventist, Anglican, and the African church that met in a school of which my mother 
myself and the pastor were the entire congregation. From this sixth month, I remember best a Christian science reading room in Richmond. Mum leafing through a copy of the monitor, placing her faith in words lifted to the frequency of longing, a pitch so lofty only a celestial ear could bend to it. And if the ear belonged to a person or persons outside time, that being, those beings might grant divine provenance. Hmm. Give my mother a sign. I drink some water, do a poem, and then I'll introduce you to Denez, I think. This is called The Color of James Brown's Scream. Ah, I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is the single from the album of Kumukando. So. <laughs> oh, no, the single is the one about the dance party, yo. Oh, for real? Yeah, that's the joint. Okay. That's the joint. Maybe it's a double A side. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dying to make that joke. <laughs> I didn't realize that until now. <laughs> the color of James Brown's scream. I've known you by many names, but today you are Larry Levan, your hand on the platter in the smoky room of a garage regular's memory. Hmm. You're keeping when doves cry in time as you swing your hips and sweat drips from your hair. The color of James Brown's scream. King of Kring Street. We're still moving to the same sound, though some of us don't know it's your grave we dance on. Cutting shapes, machismo lost to the beat. Every road man is a sweet boy if the DJ plays. Heartbroken hmm. at just the right time for these jaded feet. Teach us to shapeshift, Legba. You must know I'd know your customary shuffle, that phantom limp anywhere that I see your hand in the abandon of a couple middle of the floor, sliding quick and slick as a skin fade by the hand of a Puerto Rican clipper man who wields a cutthroat like a paintbrush. Hmm. Let us become like them, an ode tonight ordering beer in a corporeal language from a barman who replies by sweeping his arms in an arc, willy ninja style. Hmm. To fix a drink our lips will yearn for. A taste we've been trying to recreate ever since. It gives me tremendous pleasure and it's an honor to introduce my fellow Chateau poet, a poet of exceptional linguistic exuberance, style, grace, one of our best poets, I think. Please put your hands together for Denez Smith. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing? You have to say it back. How are you doing? You have to like, say something. It's American. I'm black. I'm offended if you don't say anything back. OK, cool. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Can we give another hand for Kyle, please? Like, that was like. 
Um, I'm sorry to interrupt his reading. I know his voice makes all of our Tinder bits vibrate a little bit. Uh, mine, at least. I don't know. Uh, I, want, I want that on audiobook. I need it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here with y'all. Okay, couple rules for my fucking reading. So I understand that y'all tend to be a very polite people um, as a country and shit. You apologize for everything, all those other kind of things. Um, but like this, so where I come from, um, the traditions I come from, uh, poetry is very much a, a tradition of call and response. Um, which means that if you do sit there in silence, then I go home and cry. Um, and I, I just stop in the middle of the reading. And so if you are feeling emotions, um, I know those are hard things to have, but if you're feeling them, um, let them come out. Let's hear them. Uh, laugh, stomp, cry, snap, clap, whatever it is you want to do in the midst of the poems, even if you want to. Um, and that, that way we create this exchange of energy. The more energy you give me, the more I'll be able to give back to you. We got an agreement? Yeah. All right, cool, dope. Be American for like 25 minutes, that's all I ask. All right, <laughs> cool, so I'm gonna do some poems, um, some from the book, some older, some new, cool, cool, we'll switch around. Uh, so this first poem, dedicated to the memory of Islan Nettles and Dwayne Gully Queen Jones, two black transgender women who were murdered in the summer of 2013. This poem is called Genesis. -y. And on the eighth day, God said, let there be fierce. And that's the story of the first snap, the hand's humble attempt at thunder, a small sky troubled by attitude. And on the ninth day, God said, bitch, work. And Adam learned to duck walk, dip, pose, death drop. Eve became the fruit herself, stared the lion in the eye, and dared the king to bite. And on the tenth day, God wore a blood red sequin bodysuit, dropped it low, called it a sunset. And on the eleventh and on the eleventh day, God said, Girl, come here. And the trees leaned in for gossip. The water went wild for the tea. The air tight with shade. And on the 12th day, Jesus wept. Sad so many of his sons would shame his sons for walking a daughter's stride. For the way his children would learn to hate the kids. And on the 13th day, God barely moved. He laid around heaven dreaming of glitter, pleased with the shine of it. Sad so many of his children would come home covered in it. The parades canceled due to a rain of fists and insults and bullets and rope. And on the 14th day, God just didn't know what to do with himself. Two, the Lord begat man. Man begat sin. Sin begat a new joy. A new joy begat hate. Hate begat Leviticus. Leviticus begat Sister Rosa. Sister Rosa begat that ugly rumor about Dwayne, but that ugly rumor begat the truth. But the truth 
begat the need to pray or run the need to run begat the knees and that's a kind of prayer too but their knees begat his mouth splattered all over the him colored dirt road his mouth splattered all over the him colored dirt road still begat a song the song begat a hymn at the sweet boy's funeral the sweet boy's funeral begat his aunt still disgusted head shake his aunt still disgusted head shake begat the world that killed the knots a boy child and stole her favorite dress of her cold shimmering body and that just can't it just can't it just can't it just can't it just can't come from god right three a hymn i am on the battlefield for my lord for my lord I am on the battlefield for my Lord, and I promise him that I, I will serve until I die. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. Four. A not him for her. I am the battlefield, my Lord, my Lord. I battle, my Lord. And I promise him that I. Hi. So cool. Um, cool. So this is thank you. So this is my book. It's good. You should buy it. Um, it's a hit in the states. Let's let it be a hit here. I want to be a crossover. Um, <laughs> Um, cool, cool. We'll be like the Beatles in reverse. So yeah, so the book um, was two books, and then my editor said they would only publish one, so it's one now. Um, uh, those two books, those are following two different strains of mortality. One uh, strain in the book is thinking about police brutality um, and the many uh, violences um, and the histories of violences that America commits against the black body. Um, the other strain, still like sort of houses in the black body, is thinking about. Um, sexuality and HIV and how the body might both be in danger from the outside world as well as like a danger to itself. Um, and then there's some poems that like fall in the middle and shit. And then there's some pretty gratuitous sex poems about like <laughs> Tinder and like grinder and shit. And so we'll start there and then we'll get into the sad shit. Um, cool, cool. Um, so this poem, how many of y'all use a dating app of some kind or you have at some point in your life, you probably deleted it in a fit of drunken anger one night. Cool, cool. Um, cool. So this is for all of you. Uh, <laughs> um, this is called a note on the phone app that tells me how far I am from other men's mouths. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Headless horse-hung horsemen gallop to my gate, dressed in pictures stolen off Google. Men of every tribe mark their doors in blood. No fats, no fems, no blacks, no Asians. Sorry, just a preference, smiley face. 
I'm offered, <laughs> I'm offered eight mouths, three asses, and four dicks before I'm given a name. I offer my body to the pictures with eyes. The three men who say they weigh more than 250 pounds fill their profiles with pictures of landscapes, sunsets, write lovely sonnets about their lonely and good tongues. The men with abs between their abs write, ask, or probably not that interested in you. A boy down the, sh uh, the boy down the street won't stop messaging me. I keep not responding. I thought about blocking him, but I don't want him to think I'm dead. A man says, sup. I say, chillin'. You? He says, word, we fucking or what? I never um, found out what or what was. Uh, there's this one guy who spells everything like this? Uh, Everyone on the app says they hate it, but no one stops. I sit on the train, eyeing men, begging myself to talk to them. I sit on the face of a man I just met. He whispers his name into my lower mouth. I sing a song about being alone. All right, cool. Cool. Um, there's the word, if I said like a man is on the down low, that translates across the Atlantic, right? Yeah. Cool, cool. If you don't know what that means, that's somebody who's homosexual on a need to know, down to hoe basis, whatever. Okay, um, cool. So this poem is called At the Down Low House Party. Um, so picture a whole party full of men who are all in the closet. Um, this probably is true as true for football teams here as it is for football teams in the States, even though the sport changes. Um, so yeah, cool. We got it. Um, at the down low house party, don't expect no nigga to dance. Here, we drink Hennessy, hold the wall, graze an elbow and pray it lasts forever. Everybody wants to touch a nigga, but don't. We say, what's good? Meaning, I could love you until my jaw is but memory. We say, yo, meaning, let my body be the falcon's talon and your body be the soft innards of goats. But we mostly say nothing. Just sip some good brown trying to get drunk with permission. And sometime between here and being straight again, some sweet boned glittering boy shows up, starts voguing and shit. His sharp hips pierce our desire, make our mouths water and water, and we call him faggot, meaning bravery. Faggot, meaning often I've dreamed of you, flesh damp and confused for mine. Faggot, meaning hail the queen, hail the queen. Faggot, meaning I've waited ages to dance with you. All right, cool. Cool, cool, um, cool. Um, let's talk about HIV. Go get tested, wear condoms, although condoms do suck. Um, all right, here's a poem. Uh, <laughs> it won't be a bullet becoming a little moon, bright warm in me one night. Thank God, I can go quietly. The doctor will explain death and I'll go practice. And the catalog of ways to kill a black boy Find me buried between the pages, stuck together with red stick. Ironic, predictable. Look at me. I'm not the kind of black man who dies on the news. I'm the kind who grows thinner and thinner and thinner until light outweighs us.
and we become it. Family gathered around my barely body, telling me to go toward myself. Um, so I'm gonna read a couple of sections um, from this crown of sonnets that I wrote called Crown. Ha <laughs> isn't that clever? Um, but it's like trying to think about like legacy and sort of what is possibly lost in terms of like lineage and family once one becomes HIV positive, okay? So I'm gonna start in the middle. Um, so imagine I've read two bomb ass sonnets before I get to this one, okay? So cool. <laughs> one, or technically three, but we're gonna say one for right now. One, <laughs> my blood got jumped. Ask the doctor to wait before he gives me the test results. Give me a minute of not knowing, sweet peace of ignorance. I want to go back to the question, sweet if of yesterday, bridge back to maybe. Lord, bring me my old blood's name. Take away the crown of red fruit sprouting and rotting and sprouting and rotting in me. A garden of his brown mouth, his clean teeth, his clean answer, phantom hiding behind a red curtain. And I would sing, if not for this blood in my throat, if my blood was not a moat, too. If my blood was not a moat, I'd have a son. But I kingdom myself now, watch the castle turn to exquisite mush. Look at how easy the bones turn to grits, how the body becomes effigy, how I would have a daughter if only I, but I am only the mother of my leaving. I sit on the jungle gym, crying over other people's children, black flowers blooming where my tears fall, bees commune to their lips, then turn to stone. As expected, my blood, a river named Medusa, every man I touch turns into a monument. I put flowers at their feet, their terrible stone feet. They grow wings, stone wings, and crumble. Three. They grow wings, stone wings, crumble right and crumble and fall right out my body, my little darlings. I walk and leave a trail of my little never no mores. My little angels, their little feathers clogging the drain, little cherubs drowning right in my body, little prayers bubbling at the mouth, little blue skin joys, little dead jokes, little brown eyed cants, my nursery of nunca, family portrait full of grinning ghosts. They look just like me, proud papa of pity, forever uncle, father figure figured out of legacy, doomed daddy, look at my children, skipping over the hill and over the hill, a cliff, a fire, an awful mouth, four. And over the hill, a cliff, a fire, the awful mouth of an awful river, a junkyard, a church made from burned churches, place for prayer for those who forgot how to pray. I stand by the river, the awful one, dunk my head in the water and scream for my river bottom airs. This is the prayer, right? I fall and I drown and I trash and I burn and I dunk my head in the river and I call the children drowned in my blood to come home. This is the right prayer. Lord, give me a sign, red and octagonal. God bless the child that's got his own. God bless the father who will have none. All right, one more poem, there's some new shit, there's some old shit, then we go get to talking. All right, cool, cool, cool. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, so this is so when I like made the two books, one I had to like write poems that then made sense for both of them so this is one of those uh, I'm trying to hold both of the topics of the book at one time so this is called every day is a funeral and a miracle one on the bad nights I wake to my mother shoveling dirt down my throat I scream mom I'm alive I'm alive but it just sounds like dirt if I try to get up she brings the shovel down saying I miss you so much my sweetest boy Two, my grandma doesn't know, so don't tell her. If you see her with this poem, burn it, burn her, burn whatever you must burn. How do you tell a woman who pretends you're just having trouble finding a wife that once, twice, daily, a man enters you? How your blood smells like a hospital, graveyard, or a morgue left in the sun? Three. Hallelujah. Today I rode past five police cars and I'm alive to tell you about it. Now, what to do with my internal inverse? How, just how will I survive the little cops running inside my veins, hunting white blood cells, then bang, bang, I'm dead. For today, Tamir Rice. Tomorrow, my liver. Today, Raika Boyd. Tomorrow, the kidneys. Today, John Crawford. Tomorrow, my lungs, some of us are killed in pieces, some of us all at once. Five, do I think someone created AIDS? Maybe. I don't doubt that anything is possible in a place where you can burn the body with less outrage than a flag. Six, hallelujah, today I did not think about my blood. Shit, seven, what is the shape of my people's salvation? Name a thing that can't be made a weapon. Can you point me in the direction of the doctor, witch, or medical? No matter, I got this problem. I was born black and faggoty. They sent a boy when the bullet missed. Eight. Look, I'm not going to manufacture any more sadness. It happened. It's happening. America might kill me before I get the chance. My blood is in cahoots with the law. But today, I'm alive, which is to say I survived yesterday, spent it ducking bullets, some flying right towards me, and some trying to rip their way out.
right. Uh, I'm gonna read a couple new poems. If that's okay with y'all from a book I'm working on. Cool, cool. Um, all right. I like the N word a lot, and so I wrote a whole bunch of poems about it. Um, it's a beautiful word when it comes out the right mouth. Um, all right. So here are some poems about that. Um, this one is called "In Praise of Nigga." Ghosts still pace Georgia, hungry for babies, husbands, something to unopen the back. We know the music that accompanies the mob, the robe, the rope, the pickup, the horse, the blade across skin like a stubborn sack. The fire, dark stars slung from a branch was always nigger, black nigger, nigger, a throat filled with an orchard of bodies. Black before the burning, telling their children goodbye or north. But I can't find blood in my boy's mouth when he says, my nigga. There was only light, a chapel stitched from captor tongues. And let it be about ownership. I'll be his nigga. Let a nigga own a nigga. Keep me tethered to this world, alive. Give us this, this one name, not dead on the lips. Hmm. Wait, which poem am I gonna read? Okay, hold up, couple like cultural questions, right? To see what kind of TV y'all have. Um, y'all got, y'all have the Powerpuff Girls. Y'all know, y'all know Powerpuff Girl references. What about the TV show Arthur? Cool, let's do it. All right, um, cool. Uh, all right, we, we're here, we're here, we're here. Okay. Um, so this is a poem about, uh, about roasting your friends, about making fun of your friends, which I think is one of the most beautiful things that friends can do to each other. So this uh, poem borrows its like title uh, from the great hip-hop band Woudini. So I feel it's only right in their honor that I have to sing this, um, and we'll hop into the poem. Thank you so much. All right. How many of us have them friends? If I may interrupt right quick, I know that y'all are busy working, busy smoking, and busy trying not to smoke, busy with the kids and the moms, and busy with alone, but I have just seen two boys, yes, black, on bikes, also black, and they were summer children, basketball shorts and they outside shoes, wild laughing about something here I couldn't hear, wild laughing about something I couldn't hear above my own holler, trying to steady the wheel and not hit they little asses as they swerved, friend drunk, making their little loops, sun lotion faces screwed with that first and cleanest love that we forget to name as such. And I'm not trying to diss little dude, but in this golden hour, he kind of looked like Francine off Arthur. You know, the same little monkey mouth and all. Old and I say, hey, looking ass boy, though in a beautiful way. The best beautiful. The same, I know that all of us have looked like something off when backlit by love. Oh, loves, y'all ugly asses have crowned me the worst names. Wayne Brady, a gay Wiz Khalifa, all kinds of bitches and fags, though only with my bitches and fags, and once the mark of Buddha, that year that acne scored my forehead with its bumpy faith. Oh, my niggas, and my niggas who are not niggas. I've been almost pissed myself, been almost been boxing, been tears and snot off your dozen wonders, been the giddy swine dancing 
dancing above the flame. Oh, my many hearts. Y'all booty-faced, weird-ass, old mojo, jojo looking asses. Dusty, <laughs> you dusty chest. <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, Y'all dusty chambers where my living dwells roast me. Name me in the old ways. Your shit talk is a river I wade, howling until it takes me. I can't stop laughing. More river wades down my throat. This could be drowning, could be becoming the water, could be a baptism from the inside out. Don't save me. I don't want to be saved. I've been died laughing before. I've been seeing God's face and you have her teeth, my nig. But Hers ain't as yellow as them saffron shits. You keep stashing that glory foul mouth. Oh, my friends, my friends, my niggas, my wives. I got a crush on each one of your dumb faces, smashing into my heart like idiot cardinals into glass. But I am a big ass glass bird, a stupid monster crashing through the window and becoming it just to make you laugh. My friend Andrew used to say that friendship is so friendship. <laughs> and ain't it? Even after Andrew gave it on over to whatever, he was still my nigga. Even when they turned his body to dust, he was still my dusty ass boy. Don't you hear it? The dust on the ceiling fan calls me a bum. Says my hairline looks like it's thinking about retirement. The dust in the car says I look like a chubby slave. Says I look too drunk. Takes my keys. Drives me home. The wind is tangled with the dust of the dead homies. Carrying us over to them. Giggling in the mirror. Giggling in the mirror. Hear them. Hear your long gone girl tease you about your hair on the bus. Hear them rolling when you sweep the broom across the beaten floor. Oh, I miss them all the dead how young how silly to miss what you will become I apologize sometimes it just catches up in me love and ghosts get caught in us like birds and wind trapped in a sheet just the same and my friends yes my friends, they are some birds. They are some chicken head motherfuckers who I would legit stomp a nigga out for. Do you feel me? When they buried my nigga, I put on my Tims. I walked into that hot August and tried to beat his name out the dirt. I beat the earth like a nigga. I threw hands at the earth like a punk motherfucker and the ground, the ground chuckled. Said, my nigga, what is you doing? Can't you hear the wind drunk off that kindred lint? Can't you hear that great roll from way off like a big nigga laughing in an alley? Or how your dead auntie laughs when she see that you still ain't grew into that big ass head? Or how your real friend laughs when they see that you are still the same ugly as yesterday? That same ugly as always. The same ugly as their last life. Thank you. Right, cool. oh. Can I sneak and do one more poem? Just to like cap it off, is that fine? Yeah. Mm. Okay, cool, we got time? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, happy or sad, how are we ending? Um, pick one or two. Two.
Two? All right, cool. All right, bam. Cool. So this poem is called Dear White America. Um, and I know, okay, so I'm going to do this one. Um, and sometimes I've, I've noticed that sometimes you white British folks um, like to consider yourselves um, less racist than your American cousins. Um, and I want to encourage you um, and reinform you that you indeed invented racism. Um, and, <laughs> so. Uh, you still are a home for it. You still have a lot of investigation to do. So even though I am going to talk to your American cousins, feel free to include yourself. Okay? Cool, cool. All right. Uh, dear white America, I've left Earth in search of darker planets, a solar system that revolves too near a black hole. I've I, I left Earth in search of a new God. I do not trust the God you have given us. My grandmother's hallelujah is only outdone by the fear she nurses each time the blood-fat summer swallows another child who used to sing in the choir. Take your God back. Though his songs are beautiful, his miracles are inconsistent. I want the faith of Lazarus for Ranisha. I want Chucky, Bo, Sean, Trayvon, Janila risen three days after their entombing. Their ghosts re-gifted flesh and blood. Their flesh and blood re-gifted their children. I've left Earth. I am equal parts sick of your go back to Africa's as I am your I just don't see races. Ugh, neither did the poplar tree. We did not build your boats, though we did leave a trail of kin to guide us home. We did not build your prisons, though we did, and we filled them too. We did not ask to be part of your America, though are we not America? Her bones brittle, dress ripped, dragging her dead child through Oakland. I am sick of standing this ground. I will not call your reckless the law. Each night I count my brothers and in the morning when some don't survive to be counted I count the holes they leave. Your master magic trick America. Now he's breathing. Now he don't. Abracadabra. White bread voodoo. This sorcery you claim not to practice. Hand my cousin a pistol to do your work. I tried white folks. I tried to love y'all but you spent my brother's funeral making plans for brunch. Talking too loud next to his bones. You took one look at the river plump with the body of girl after boy after sweet, sweet child and asked, why does it always have to be about race? Cause you made it that way. Cause you put an asterisk next to my sister's gorgeous face. Call her pretty for a black girl. Cause black girls go missing without a whisper of where. Cause there are no amber alerts for amber skinned girls because Jordan boomed and Emmett whistled and Huey P spoke it and Martin preached it because black boys have always been too loud to live because it's taken my father's time, my mother's time, my aunt's time, my uncle's time, my grandma's time, my grandpa's time, my niece's time, my nephew's time. How much time do you want for this progress? I have left earth. And I won't stop until I find a place where my kin can be safe. Until black people ain't but people the same color as the good wet earth. Until that means something. Until then, I bid you well. I bid you war. I bid you our lives to gamble with no more. I've left earth. And I am touching everything you beg those telescopes to show you. I am giving the stars their right names. And this new life, this new story, our new history you cannot see, 
with touch, with study, with steel, with ship, with chain, or whip, or sell, or hang, or rape, or cut, or burn, or separate, or redline, or Jim Crow, or shoot, or jail, or shoot, or jail, or shoot, or jail, or shoot, or jail, or shoot, or shoot, or shoot, or shoot, or shoot, or shoot, or ruin. No. This, if only this one life is ours. Thank you. That was smooth. That was so smooth. It's like we rehearsed and like. I know. You whole... know, we're taking a thing on the road, man. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So we should. It's like so Beyonce and Jay Z and the Mrs. B Mr. Mrs. Mother <laughs> tour. You know, flawless. Thank you for your reading. It was beautiful. Thank you um, for your reading. It was also beautiful. I wanted to. Are we um, gonna compliment each other for twenty minutes? Let's do that. I feel like it's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> They're very symmetrical. Thick. Takes what? Mm -hmm. Do you put coconut oil on them? Yes. Huh? Recently, recently. Mm. I experiment. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I was thinking about um, the space of the poem is somewhere where you can imagine like an alternative reality. Mm. So like mm -hmm. even as we speak about an existing reality or past reality, using the poem to imagine an alternative reality is as revolutionary or as important. And I was thinking when reading your collection and your work generally, is that it exists in this space of a kind of communal healing, hmm. I feel like. Mm -hmm. There's anger in there, there's indignation, there's like a lot of rage, but also there's a space of like inviting collectively a healing process to begin. Hmm. Do you think that's fair? Um, I think so. I don't know. I think the collective part rings very true. Um, I wonder about the healing, or at least I hope that I'm like sort of facilitating a space of healing, but mm. I'm not always sure. Um, I think there's sort of a danger when writing about very hard poems, particularly when they're of, when you're writing about folks of a certain identity, um, to sometimes re-traumatize or like I, I think um, a danger. And I think I did this in my first book, which if I was if I was who I am now, I would not have written. Um, where you can kind of re-kill a person in the poem um, in a certain kind of way. And so I think with "Don't Call Us Dead," I was really looking. Um, to write poems um, that allowed, not healing, but like sort of like, is it healing? Um, that offered um, tenderness and that um, offered tenderness and offered some kind of divine justice that we were not actually going to be able to achieve in the real world. Um, and so, I, yeah, so maybe that is a healing too, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, but I think there's also a healing you know, when gathering amongst your people, that there are, the healing is sort of a given in that way. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, black people can't gather anywhere and not be healed a little bit just from that gathering. Um, so I think that's why I was interested in, in the poem is sort of collectivizing too. Um, do you feel like you were trying to do that in your work? Because your work is very, it's inhabited by, by your community. You know, like there's poems in there, like every poem is 
filled with names. It's filled with these bodies that you're sort of like calling into the space. You have one poem that just like starts off with like eight names at the very beginning of the mm. poem. Um, so how important is it to sort of fully showcase your community and your folks and your poems? And how intentional is that? Um, I guess there's a feeling because because of witnessing an absence mm -hmm. of like um, of people that I recognize and grew up with in some of the kind of media that I consume. Mm. Um, I don't feel a pressure, but I feel why not mention, mm. mention those people since they've been as much a part of my life mm. and existence as like loads of the books like in this space and mm. like all of the kind of canonical figures. Because mm. I feel like I feel like lots of my ideas like that I think to be profound or things that I believe in come from that kind of reading of canonical work and like other kinds of my own canons and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But equally, my own canons are composed of something that like a friend of mine said to me at mm. the bus stop in passing, which has stuck in my mind for whatever reason. Mm. So when I'm writing poems, I feel it necessary to honor that mm. word. Can I ask you a question about your own canons? Because I think we have like some similar canons. Okay. So I think we're both like sort of maybe children of Saul Williams in a kind of way. Like when, like, are you, would, was Saul Williams a formative poet for you? Let me just ask. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what of Saul do you feel like you've beyond the epigraph? Um, do you feel like you're sort of taking from your work? Because um, I think of Saul as like sort of a very hard poet to sort of nail down. And mm. He's been so many different poets throughout his career. Mm. What, which Saul was the one that enticed you? Um, when did you kind of hook in? And what do you sort of see of him mm. um, when you think about your own work or your process? I came to writing poetry as like um, as an MC writing songs. So the Saul Williams that I first that f first made a lot of sense to me is mm. like is as a hip-hop MC, mm. the kind of meter and rhyme and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff really Dead MC me. Scrolls, was that sort of the first thing? Or? I think the first, mm, the first thing was his very first book, The Seventh Octave. Okay. But like, um, I came across the film Slam at a certain point, I don't oh, know when yeah. that was. Um, but between getting into the, that film and finding out about his work and never seeing him live at that point, but imagining it and seeing recordings, <coughs> I got into this kind of um, third space, hybrid space that he created between mm. the literary and hip-hop as something like he called into question that notion that hip-hop wasn't literary mm -hmm. I guess and I kind of took that and went with it into various directions so I'm interested to bring like elements from that hip education in hip-hop in grime in garage into spaces that it ever, wasn't ever supposed to be in. Hmm. And people might not even notice that that's happening unless they were interested in those things similarly. So like, which Saul was your, your uh, like, formative Saul? Definitely what? like Slam Saul, mm -hmm. like, you know, in the middle of the yard, I stand on the corner of the blocks looking at Mrs. Rocks, the good mother of nature's private necklace, all that shit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was firstly as a performer, I didn't, I didn't really realize people were still writing poetry books until I was like 19 because the poetry section was just tucked so far mm -hmm. behind in like the bookstore and I was going to Barnes and Noble and not like the independent bookstore so Barnes and Noble had like um, like Robert Frost and some more Robert Frost and like um, and, and maybe a little bit of Langston Hughes um, and so so yeah so I didn't even know that like Saul really had books and then the first one I got a hold of um, was uh, was the Dead MC Scrolls which mm -hmm. includes and Mrs. Rocks um, mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't know, I was attracted to, I think, his 
um, bohemianness. Um, mm. Like it was like also it was the hip hop and it was that because mm. I could recognize that I, I very much love hip hop. Mm. Um, but I think it was Saul's ability because uh, by this time he was like dressing a little different and he kind of was like looking like a weird like Grace Jones like nephew type mm. joint. And so I was attracted to how Saul um, performed, like how he embodied a very unabashed blackness with, with, with also this um, sort of uh, earned and very natural strangeness and what I read as queerness mm. um, at the time, or queerness just divorced from the sense of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was attracted to like sort of who is this like strange beaded nigga talking about Saturn and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, so, yeah. Mm. <laughs> He's a weird guy. I feel like he's he a very weird guy. Permission, permission to be weird in yeah. that way. I think. Can you be an artist and not be weird? No, I don't know. Nah. I don't know. Nah. Uh, maybe not. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe a novelist. Those niggas are bored. Wow. <laughs> oh <Thank> man. <laughs> um, we do have time for two questions, right? So should we just each pick somebody or some like? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Does anybody have? Hi, I got a question for Denise. That's all right. Um, I read your f- first book, Insert Boy, and I was really struck by the poem, The, the Black Boy and the Bullet. Uh-huh. Um, particularly being like an English bloke, like, um, here we don't, ha- we don't have guns. And so the simple answer to the, the issue of, in a, of America uh, and its relationship with guns is take them away. Um, I agree. But, <laughs> yes. but to me, the, there must be some more complex answer that I don't know, and I'm just wondering if you could sort of elaborate on that? Um, I think it is very hard to sort of easily sum up what is American, bl- American gun lust. Um, as a very anti-gun American, I also agree that the solution is like, let's get rid of them. We have examples. Australia also had a gun problem. They had a buyback program. There are these like tangible steps that we can take uh, to solving some of the gun violence in America. I think there were two, um, if I'm not mistaken, if I was on Twitter, I think there were two mass shootings at schools today in America, in both Kentucky and in Texas. Yeah, I, I think, like, I th- you're right. We just, I wish we didn't have this gun problem. And I think um, guns are very, you, you know, there is a, especially amongst conservative Americans, there is a massive amount of fear of what it means to lose their guns. Um, I think because, I don't know what, it, it's very complex. I have to, like, explain what a Trump voter is, I guess, um, to explain this. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think, and I think the problem is there are, very much several different Americas. The America in which I live in understands that gun violence is something and that we actually do need gun control policy. Um, the Americas that I tend not to inhabit do not realize the danger of guns until it hits them close to home. Um, and they also do not recognize that if, even if we were to have guns be legal, if, if guns can remain to be legal in this country, um, there is no logical reason to need an AK-47 or some semi-automatic weapon that is able to let off hundreds of rounds per minute, right? Um, and I think it makes it, it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, right? And I, but I think um, this is sort of the constant problem of America that ever since the, found, the founding of America, especially since the Civil War, that have continued to be two and then three and four and all these different Americas in which we all inhabit. So I don't have an answer for you is what I'm saying. Um, and if you have an answer for us, please, but I, <laughs> um, please give it. Um, but yeah, so America's a very confused and violent place that won't let go of its precious semi-automatic weapon. This wasn't my question, but we do have guns, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, we uh, cool. sell guns to and loads nice. of people. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, 
Yeah, but know. y'all don't like have gun violence in the same way. Well, you do, but like I don't know. At least the news comes that comes over to us is like there was a stabbing, and we're we're, I'm, we're always like, why did people run? Um, a gun follows you in a particular kind of way. I so, guess so, but what I mean by that is do you have that mass shootings in the same way that we have? Not in the same way, but like what I mean by we have guns is we're caught up in the like um, same capitalist structure, which mm-hmm. make makes the ownership of guns something that people aspire to, mm. like, and globally as well, mm-hmm. like, our economy is built up from guns, True, like, yeah. loads of economies, so for us, for us, I don't even know who us is in this formulation, mm. but to say, like, America's a violent country and the UK is, like, I feel like that's misguided. True. Very true, and I think, and I think what the UK also does, right, the UK is, like, very good at, like, not imagining itself as like this little island and not imagining itself as like the many violences that the UK has committed all across the world and still continues to admit, you know, Europe ruined everything. Um, So (laughs) it did. Um, So yes, but I think it is a complex answer because I think in many ways in terms of gun control or gun law, we would aspire to be closer to what the UK is. See what you mean. Um, Yeah. I wish I was worried about stabbings, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, thanks, first, for both of your readings. I'm interested in like how both of you are obviously, um, in different ways, uh, talking about traumas and violences that happen to particular bodies. And then I'm interested in what that creates your dynamic to an audience, particularly when they're predominantly white or predominantly straight as well. Um, do you have coping mechanisms, or do you need coping mechanisms for how that looks like to often uh, especially, I guess, in the in your reading as well, so much of that was so such vivid imagery that maybe only some of us can imagine or understand. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have coping strategies when you're talking to a predominantly white audience, for, or do you need one for what that looks like? I don't know. I think in the process of broaching things which are difficult to speak about, there is a difficulty that like cuts across like human feeling, I think, when I speak about certain things, whether they're racialized or not. Um, if they come from a place of genuine feeling, I think that moves people. And that moving people allows me to be less suspicious, not more, I think. So I don't need coping mechanisms in relation to people's responses. But the fact of broaching things which are painful to me, which I carry around with me all the time, and like making that a form of entertainment is weird. And so, like, um, the coping mechanism comes when that is, like, what you do so often, where, like, people applaud that. Um, The coping mechanism comes, why do I seek applause for work that is around that? Like, Mm -hmm. how how can we show appreciation in another way? So, like, sometimes someone will applaud, and I'm like, this is, like, (laughs) this is not something I need you to applaud. I just need you to hear it. Sometimes, sometimes. So I guess that's where the coping mechanism comes in, for me at least. Um, I think the coping mechanism for me is more, about, is more personal and about the actual act of writing than performing. Um, so even in a poem like Dear White America, um, that is like very intense and angry, um, I always tend to think about like joy um, and love and happiness as a type of tether or buoy to sort of measure my way through the work. Um, so in this poem that like, um, could rightfully be called like a very angry and intense poem, for me, that is balanced and held together by the fact that it is only that way because it's about a, a deep and intense love for my people. Um, and so those two things balance together, and that helps me sort of keep myself tethered so I don't get too lost in the work. Um, when I'm in rooms, I mean, 
on one hand, like from a purely like capitalist point of view, this is my job, and so like I ha like I just have to. Um, but also, I think like uh, like these motherfuckers need to hear um, this stuff, right? And so I, when I was when I first started touring and stuff, I would be like, oh, maybe I don't want to do all these poems in front of white people, but they're the exact people that need to hear them. And what actually it allows is that when I am in spaces that um, tend to be more exclusive when I am in, uh, what do y'all say, B-A-M-E? Um, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> is that it? Bami? Um, cool. Uh, so I'm, when I'm in these BAME spaces, um, then that means I get to do, then I, then I don't have to tell, explain racism to a room full of brown people, right? Because we all get it. Um, and so then those poems get to take a back burner. I get to do poems that celebrate us, that talk about joy, um, that speak to those things, those conversations that we want to have in private. And so, um, or that we want to have our own selves a party in that way. And so, um, so the hard work is actually for these predominantly white spaces and to like actually make white folks like sit um, and hear poems about racism if they're going to go home and read uh, Mary Oliver or some shit like that, right? Um, and yeah, and then when it is just us in a room, which I'm very thankful when that happens, then it gets to be a different kind of work and I'm not, um, and I don't have to sort of bring up these harsher topics because we live through that every day. So those spaces can actually become um, more um, ritualistic for joy, yeah. Thank you. Um, you mentioned the word ritualization, which is actually the perfect um, kind of way to enter my question to Kayo, which is I wondered if you could expand a little bit on um, the role of ritual in your poetry and your, the way that you relate language to magic and spells. Mm. I guess what I really started thinking about literature as magic when I, I think I was listening to an interview with Alan Moore, and he was, Alan Moore is pretty out there, um, <laughs> to put it mildly, but he was talking about how, how calling something into being through language invokes it, makes it exist. And I just, for some reason, that particular part of the interview stuck with me, and I was just thrilled by it, uh, the, the feeling and thinking about it. Um, so I'm interested in um, language when it enacts something, and I think when you speak something aloud, that, that process, when you share it with someone, that enacts something. So for me, in writing, the ritual is to think about that kind of communication from one body to another, either through somebody reading the work or somebody listening to it and like picking up not only the words, but some of the rhythms, the sounds, the inflection, uh, the fact that I use my hands to gesture and what that might mean at some other level. So I guess rituals for me have to do with how words can, can be used in that way magically, which I guess in my tribal understanding where I was born in Zambia, that understanding of language never would have left me, I guess, because in the village words are used in that way all the time and uh, in life generally. Mm. Like there are certain moments where words will be used in a way that is more heightened that is ritualized, which mm. maybe I lost sight of, but found again through mm. poetry. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 